just when you thought the world's most comfortable shoe couldn't get any more comfortable. Well, it did. Introducing the Allbirds Woolrunner 2, the next-gen version of the legendary shoe that started it all. It's been refined, redesigned, and completely redefined, with more than a dozen upgrades. It delivers comfy all-day wear that's built for bliss, turning your Cloud 9 into a 10. Plus, they're made with sustainability in mind, so you can feel good with each step you take. Added cushioning that delivers a plush ride? Check. An ultra-cozy merino wool upper for a soft fit and feel? Check. Improved durability that offers lasting wear and comfort? Check, check, and check. Lace up a pair and check off next-level comfort, too. Because when your feet are happy, the rest of you follows. Wherever you're headed, it's easy to keep up the pace when you wear Allbirds. Get yours at Allbirds.com and use code FRESH24 to score a free pair of socks with purchase today. That's a free pair of socks with purchase at allbirds.com code FRESH24. Let's see. Ben Affleck steps down as director for The Batman. Let's see another article. The DCU is in disarray. Let's see another article. Uh, the DCEU is in trouble. Let's see more articles. DCU. What's next for DCU? Oh, God. The DCU really sucks. It also... Okay, okay, okay. That's enough, Internet. All right. Whoa, Internet. Slow down. Okay. I remember a couple of years ago, a lot of y'all didn't even want Ben Affleck to be Batman. Now that he played a role in Batman vs. Superman and is going to in the upcoming Justice League movie, you are all kind of going off the rails about your whole opinion regarding him not directing this movie. He still has influence as producer, and he's still the main actor. So just chill out a little bit. It takes a lot to go ahead and play all three roles as producer, director, and actor. So let's relax on this. You know, sometimes I think we get a little too spoiled on what exactly a good or a bad movie is, and the lines are so blurred anymore. It's so easy to go ahead and judge the competition to something that works so well. And yes, I'm talking about how well Marvel worked out, but you gotta consider this. Marvel has had some problems too, trying to get these films lined up, but they have a system in play. And DC is trying so hard not to emulate that. But I guess I'm getting a little too ahead of myself. So you know what that means. Welcome to the J-Man Show here on G360 Radio. Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's golo.com. My sleep is way better. My Inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery, and I saw the Golo commercial, and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com. 
Hey there, J360 Legion. It's good to be back for another episode. Of course. Hey there, J360 Legion. It's good to be back for another episode. Welcome to episode 10. I'm Jay and I'm your host, of course. Before we get started today, I did give you all a question of the week last time. And it was, what movie are you looking forward to in terms of February and March? And the results are Lego Batman at 31%, Fifty Shades Darker at 11%, Logan at 44%, and Kong Skull Island at 14%. Well, I guess everybody really wants to give Hugh Jackman that ending hurrah. Now, I know I left Power Rangers out, but you know how Twitter can be. You can only have up to four. So, you know, as I work on the polls for all the other J360 sites out there, (laughs) this is what it's going to be like. But I'm sure a lot of us want to see the Power Rangers film. And today, we're going to get to the bottom of a few things, because we're going to go back into the filmmaking aspect of the show. We're not going to go after the orange overcome today. Yeah, I know that's a bit of a shocker, but, you know, he just does too many stupid things. I'm just waiting for the big hit, you know what I'm saying? So as a way of keeping track of him, I'm still writing on the checklist every day. But I'm not exactly all about this Muslim ban, you know what I mean? It's a temporary ban for 120 days, but you got to really think about it. These people have no places to go. So they're staying in airports, um, hotels, and... You know what I mean? And they probably don't even have the money or the means for such a thing. They gotta go somewhere, I guess. And of course, some people are coming from war-torn areas. So, at the end of the day, some people really are angry and angsty about this due to circumstances that have happened in our history, dealing with people from that faith, or dealing with people who are just... You know, religion tends to go on ahead and cause a lot of problems more than help people, and it's supposed to be just a way of life and a belief system. But, you know, that's a whole entire different topic. At the end of the day, you know, just because they celebrate something different from me, you know what I mean, doesn't mean that I have to outright hate them. But I can't stand the ones that, you know, commit bodily harm to other people. Now, those so-and-sos are the ones you want to keep an eye out for, but things are so blurred nowadays, you know. Just like what I said in the cold open about these movies. So, we're not going to go into too much politics on this episode. And besides episode 10, we all could use a break. However... When it gets right down to it, what I said about the DCEU, the franchise is still new, folks. I think I've been saying it throughout most of the entirety of this show. Of course they're not going to come out of the gate right. It's just like the 2015 Philadelphia Eagles. Sure, there's a lot of good ideas, but in actual practice, it doesn't come together because there's no cohesion and there's no communication between the ones involved. And just because Ben Affleck stepped down as director doesn't mean he's out of the movie entirely. You know, he played a fantastic role in Batman vs. Superman. And I think pretty much because of all the things that followed that film along with the polarization of the fan bases, that's why everybody's in an uproar about it. And not to mention uh, Suicide Squad's performance. In a way, Marvel does have a system that works, but you gotta figure this. Marvel has had years over DC in certain things, whereas DC has years over Marvel in certain things too, like the animated features lineup. Do you remember the Marvel animated features lineup? It was so disjunctive and unorganized that you take a look at the DCU, yeah, you'll point fingers and throw stones at that, but you really need to take a look at back in the day, because there's a reason why that lineup's not still going on to this day. But depending on how DC Comics goes with their animated features, like, you know, the artwork could be so-so now and again, it really depends, but the characterization and the depthness of the stories is there, whereas with Marvel's whole thing, like, the animation was good, but there's just... The characters were really flat, especially in the Iron Man one. The animated, the Invincible Iron Man one. You remember this movie. Don't try to think that you don't. I think the best one out of the Marvel animated features lineup was the Doctor Strange animated feature. 
Because that one was pretty good. I, I would have loved that they made a sequel to that or followed through with a Defenders movie before the Defenders became about Luke Cage and company. And maybe Hulk versus as a second. But even you Marvel fanboys have to admit that DC's been kicking Marvel's ass in that home video animated features lineup. And it's still is to this day. I think the latest Batman one came out not too long ago. And I mean after the killing joke. Now don't get it twisted. This episode isn't about the DCU versus the MCU. What it really is is about bad movies and good movies. And how generic each term is because what necessarily makes a good movie and what makes a bad movie exactly? Is it poor characterization and no direction? Is it executive meddling? Is it going over budget? Or does it really just come down to people's opinion? But to prove my point, I will be taking a good look at a DCEU movie, and particularly Batman vs Superman. Say like, sometimes we are so quick to judge, you know, we forget where we come from on this stuff. Like I think sometimes we get so spoiled by too many critics and too many things saying, this movie sucks because of the percentage rating it gets, or the ticket sales, or all this... All these things, you know, sometimes you can miss out on a good movie based on not doing your own research and not going ahead and enjoying a quality film. You might miss out on a quality film that you've been looking for because you went after what somebody else said and because you didn't look at the other films on the list other than the top three. That kind of kills it for me sometimes when it comes to filmmaking. You know, it's a process to make the movie. It's a process to sell the movie. And then at the end of the day, it all comes down to somebody's opinion. And if they didn't get the point, you know what I mean? It's automatic thumbs down for some people. It's like, it just, it's like, no, <laughs> you know, but that's kind of the way the system works. Unfortunately, we as the viewers, the ones that pay our hard earned money to go see these films are actually making an event to go see these movies as cinephiles all over the world, especially those of you that have podcasts like I do to talk about this aspect. We need to go and venture. We need to get out of our comfort zone. Sometimes we're in a box. That's why a lot of us suffer from superhero fatigue because yeah, they throw so many at us. But the thing is, if you want to get outside of that and you want to see some variety, it's there. You just have to look for it. And don't forget to look at the indie lineup too. But this is my time to defend the DCEU. I mean, I did a DCEU marathon not too long ago. You know, it's still new. I can't really throw too many stones at it. Now, it would be different if, like, they kind of did another approach where they had two crossovers going on leading to a team movie. But you see, right now, we had a semi-team movie, another team movie to follow it. We got Wonder Woman solo movie, which will be fine. I think it's going to do great. And then we got another team movie, which is the Justice League coming around the time Thor Ragnarok will come in. And Thor Ragnarok is just... Nah, it might be a light team movie because Doctor Strange and the Hulk are in that too. I'm just wondering why DC would throw too many group pictures at us. Each and every single one of these characters, you know, one's going to get more screen time than the other one. One's going to be underpowered on the other one. It's like this. When there's a crossover movie involved or a crossover story, the one that is usually very powerful in their own book or own medium, chances are they're going to get nerfed. It's like when you see like Superman will probably show up in the second half of the Justice League movie most likely, because they need him. He's like the big gun, you know what I'm saying? And you all saw that in Justice League War. Because if he was there the whole time, you know, it wouldn't be no real reason for the whole league to come together. It's gotta be something that can easily take him out for the whole league to come together. And since he's not alive in the DCEU right now, there you go, you gotta figure that everything has a building block to it. That's how these crossover movies are supposed to work. It has to be a severe cataclysm to bring these people together. That's why a lot of us are so intrigued about the Avengers movies. I want to take a particular look at Batman vs Superman. See, I was never really a big Suicide Squad fan. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like the idea of, you know, worst heroes ever. I like the idea of villains coming together. 
when they have a common goal and a plot to it, unlike what Sony was trying to do with that Sinister Six movie. Like, what were they going to do? Were they going to go take apart Oscorp or some shit? Because in the end, that didn't really go anywhere. But when it gets right down to it, I think Batman vs. Superman isn't that bad of a movie as, like, people try to make it be. And I'm going to tell you why. Because a lot of people seem to complain that Superman had less time than Batman did. Well, no kidding, because the movie was overloaded anyway. You know what I'm saying? They had too many things coming together in one movie. And plus, you're supposed to get Batman established in this world where a man is practically a god on Earth. I mean, and he already had his movie. You see what I'm saying? So you can't give too much in one thing. So with Batman and Superman, there has to be a reason for them to come together and team up. And the thing is, they usually have conflict before they team up. Nowadays, back in the day, they used to just team up when it was something that really affected both of them. This whole Batman vs. Superman thing didn't come into play until Frank Miller got his hands on the book. Look it up. And it's so interesting to see like how many fans are so butthurt about it, but back in the day, their history, they didn't really have this much animosity until much, much later. So I don't know whether it's more of a fan thing or whether it's more of people that just want to see those two fight for some reason. And if you really wanted to go down, you can take a look at it on Injustice pretty much got to see Batman's universe and how he's to deal with this concept of Superman being a potential threat. And you saw how it all evened up. He was there during the event when Superman was fighting against the Doomsday Machine. You know, fighting against Zod and company. That was cool. You know what I'm saying? Because the way they made that go, it was a parallel story. And then you got to see the essence of the Batman character, like the legacy. Not exactly following the comics too much per se because of Zack Snyder, but the thing is, is this. You know, it was there. You're getting his narrative involved. It was technically more of a Batman movie in some aspects. Like, you had Superman dealing with Lex Luthor. You had his relationship with Lois. You know, you had those things there. But you also had to deal with the idea of Batman coexisting in this world. And worlds do collide when the two meet up. And you even have Wonder Woman in there. And she played a valuable role. You finally got to see the DC Trinity on screen. And you still complain about it. Because, yeah, it's disjunctive. Like, the narrative could be blurred. Is this more of Batman's movie? Is this more Superman's movie? Well, you can say this. It isn't more of Superman's movie because Superman already had his movie. You see what I'm saying? But it's building up Superman's world, but it's introducing Batman's universe into Superman's world, if that's a good way to put it. And it was sloppy in places, but it was sellable. You know what I mean? The thing is, though, critics went up in there and ripped it apart. A lot of comic fans went up there and ripped it apart. Like, you got to see the Flash in there, you know, a little bit of Flashpoint and Injustice in there. There's going to be some real big cataclysm that'll happen because something's supposed to happen to Lois. That was what that dream was about. Like, you know, some of the dream sequences could get a little crazy, but you got to see what was happening in Earth 2. And Batman using guns really pissed off a lot of people. But war-torn in Earth 2, as usual. When things are war-torn, people that wouldn't use guns... Most likely would probably use guns because that's the way they're going to have to survive. You know what I'm saying? So it's a little different at that point. But I like how they threw all that in there if Superman was a dictator. And Superman was a dictator in some comic continuities. So that's, in a way, they kind of pulled all that in. It's interesting to see where the DCEU is going to take this. Now, I did comment on some of its flaws. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a perfect movie. But then again, if you really think about it, folks, but there's no perfect movie. Every movie has flaws. Star Wars has flaws, for goodness sake. And no, that's not a dig at the prequels. All of these movies that we hold in high regard and stuff, they have plot holes in them. Some big, some small. Some like X-Men that won't be resolved at all. Because the, face it, the people are getting too old to play the roles. It just happens. 
you know and the thing is sometimes we look a little too much into mocking these movies making pointing out the bad flaws like the idea of martha wayne and martha kent all right and that stopped batman from kicking ass but here's the thing you know it rings to him because batman has a lot of pain you know what i'm saying you know this but you see superman has pain too he has to fit in a world of people that don't like him and hate him and some that just want to be him and take his powers and stuff you know what i'm saying he has to deal with xenophobia much in the same way batman has to deal with issues like both heroes suffer from a lot so it's gonna be interesting to see what they do i would have loved it though here's how i probably would have fixed it i would have made it just the world's finest movie i wouldn't call it batman versus superman dawn of justice you know what i mean because that's too much of a title you know, Wonder Woman would have played a role in there, but it would have been in a way that it would foreshadow it and get you hyped up for her solo movie that's coming, and then you would have the connection happen. Doomsday should be in a movie that is the Justice League movie at best. And then with Superman dying at the end, probably would have tied into Justice League Part 2. And I'm just doing this in terms of, you know, writing, writing it out. You know what I mean? Just building that universe. You know, Superman doesn't stay dead long, even if he does die. And I'm using quotes on that, because that storyline was made to boost his comics back in the day, believe it or not. And when Superman did die, it worked. It was a crazy ploy, and there was some resolution that didn't make no sense to it, but it worked. You know, and that's why we had mullet Superman there for a little bit. But in a way, you know, like I said, one thing would have led to another. And the Suicide Squad movie, I would have had that more or less like after Batman's solo movie came together. But luckily, they made that movie smart, though, because they had all the Batman references in there. You know, and it just gets you pumped up for a Batman solo movie. So that's enjoyable. But like I say, much like anything else, it's just because the movie was disjunctive. And there's a lot of executive meddling involved, and I covered that last episode. But just because it seems like it's negative that the guy that, at one time, that a lot of y'all didn't want to be Batman, who managed to play that role, and make that role his, by the way, he did a fantastic job, you know, and he was the central character of that movie at best. This is a new Batman, a new man being Bruce Wayne, and a whole new universe coming together through his eyes. That was cool, you know what I mean? And the elements were there. So as you saw that, you know, you shouldn't be too spoiled by this. But I know how it goes. You know, a lot of people, they are butthurt about casting. They can't stand this guy playing their ideal role. They have to have a quintessential person to be that role. And the thing is, for a while there, people didn't like Ben Affleck being Batman. But now that he did it, and did the circumstances of what I said, now everybody's like, oh man, you know, I love Ben Affleck as Batman. Ben Affleck as Batman is awesome. You know what I mean? Now, I was always about Ben Affleck being Batman. You don't know what you're saying. And then comes the Twitter and, the, and all the screen caps of that so-and-so lying about it. And now that he's not directing the Batman movie, you're seeing a lot of people just wetting the bed. And it's like, no, 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 no. You can't do this. That's not right. Now, it's not like Zack Snyder's going to take the role of directing this film because he's too busy with the team element movies. He's too busy with Justice League and probably Justice League Part 2. And as a lot of us know about the voting to get rid of him, and then there was the voting to keep him on, you know, he's a great visionary. You know, but you've seen some of his movies that led to this. You've seen the Watchmen movie. 
You know, the man can do a job, but, you know, the storytelling elements might not be a strong suit. But then again, it depends on who wrote the script, too. And Jeff Johns can only do so much by himself. So you're going to need to understand, like, you know, is there's no director now, but the movie's not even coming out anytime soon, right? I mean, it's supposed to come out in 2019. You still got a lot of leeway to go. And chances are there's going to be somebody that's going to take that role and know it, and he's going to own it. And then it's all about him and Ben Affleck coming together. Well, not just him and Ben Affleck, but him and all of the crew coming together to make this movie a winner. But either way, that is a pre-production issue that needs to take care of itself. We have to follow it to production and then to post-production. And, you know, that can lead to a whole lot of different things because, you know, I remember when people were upset about casting when certain movies are in post-production. It's like, there's not a damn thing you can do about it. You're just going to have to deal. Okay, and then the movie is going to be bad to you. Nobody can take your argument because you don't have one. You're already biased at that point. You know, and the character that you're probably mad about probably only has a bit point because movies get edited all the time. You know, like what I said last episode about a director's cut and a theatrical cut. So you're just going to have to wait and see. But whether the movie is going to be good or bad or not because of who is in charge or who's directing, that's a bit much, don't you think? You want to know what really makes a good or a bad movie? Your opinion. Pretty much your opinion in the end, like when it's at ticket sales and everything else. Characterization and the plot line being drawn out and everything coming together, yeah, that may play a role in it, but in the end, it's about your opinion and whoever else's opinion is with you. Like how I thought X2 was an okay movie, but somebody else probably thinks X2 really sucked. You know what I mean? But both of us could probably think it never held a candle to the first X-Men movie. And as a matter of fact, for some, I think that argument is still going on to this day. But it really does come down to your overall opinion on things. And as I say this, you need to be careful about what sources you listen to as well. And as we speak of horrendous reviews and bad word of the mouth, sites like Flickster, Rotten Tomatoes, and IMDb. IMDb is like the biggest one. Because you got all those people in there, and they talk about their perception on what makes a movie great, what sells a movie, what makes a movie good. Just like a lot of us do on forum pages. (laughs) This is why you shouldn't just rely on these review sites. Because the opinion differs. That's one. And another thing is, Flickster and Rotten Tomato are owned by the same damn company. So if it does look the same on one, chances are it'll probably be the same on the other one. And not only that, you'll know exactly who's paid off and who's not. This is where your own opinion matters. Because you'll look at that and you'll be like, why the hell am I even on this site then? I'm not getting a clear picture of this. And plus, you're going to have to remember this. This is the internet, folks. This is the new gateway for everybody. And everybody is on the internet speaking their mind. Almost like how everybody has a podcast. Almost like how everybody has a blog. Almost like how everybody has some sort of mean to share their music and everything else and get their point of view across. It's not the same way it used to be when you just write to the newspaper on your editorials and stuff. Everybody has a voice. When everybody has a voice, there's a lot of noise, and it's called oversaturation. And it can be hard to tell what makes a decent film, let alone a good one. So I'm paying attention to all of those atmospheric problems out there. Which it isn't a bad thing, because, you know, if you work with the community, the community will work with you. But allow me to be devil's advocate. A mantra in J360 Productions is to make a film that's watchable, entertaining, and make you think. And while it can be fun to criticize, it is also the easiest thing to do. Especially if it's in a property that you don't care for. Be a moviegoer first. Don't be a critic. 
Have some fun. Loosen up. Enjoy the movie. You know what I'm saying? Be open-minded to the variety that's there, because there is a variety there. But you'll ruin it every time, because you gave in to that mainstream too much. You can look down the list. You can see the variety there. You don't necessarily have to go see the number one movie in America. And if you did, chances are the media and the ads got to you. But in doing so, if you just love going to films, you can pick any of those films you want. And you see, once you do that, that's when you, the moviegoer, are in more control than any of these review sites and social media put together. And you know, while you're there, why don't you just turn social media off? This is your time. Enjoy the movie you go see. If it's a flop, you know what I mean? You had fun seeing a flop. You laughed at unintentional things. And then at the end of it all, you can write about it, but you don't have to just kill the movie. Let other people see it and, you know, get their point of view across as well. And you know what? Let's go on ahead and talk about some of the bad movies that I like for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I got a top three for you all. These movies are never going to be stellar hits, but I mean, I managed to enjoy them for what they are. And I'll even talk about some of the insight I have for independent production, you know? You know, there's still a lot of people out there, great filmmakers even, that are unsure about themselves and where they want to go in this direction. So I'm going to try to give some helpful advice. Now, as far as my guilty pleasure films, well, there's Lawnmower Man 2. Yeah, as many times I bring up Lawnmower Man 2, there's something enjoyable about it. It's like an afternoon B sci-fi movie. You know, the only worst quality of it is that it tries hard to be a sequel to a movie that shouldn't have had a sequel in the first place. wasn't even open for a sequel because... Job didn't even get his physical body back. Job stayed as a computerized monster. You know what I mean? He became a being of pure energy. Whereas in this sequel, however, Job wanted to take over cyberspace by destroying the physical world to keep cyberspace alive. And he was played by Matt Feuer instead of Jeff Fraley. And then any sort of aspect of a plot device regarding Pierce Bronson from the first one was thrown out the window for the second one. Because his enemy was the man who created a certain chip he needed to combine all of the world's resources into his control. The graphics were great. The plot was kind of meh, but at the end of the day, they even brought back the kid that was in the first movie, you know, as a way of giving Job a moral compass. You know what I mean? As a sign of his humanity and whatnot. Would the movie win awards? No. But was it good on its own? Yeah, you, you gotta understand this. It was enjoyable. And... Second on my top three, that is, because I know y'all like the top threes, Double Dragon. Actually, I think Double Dragon was a decent... (laughs) Who am I kidding? No, it wasn't. Double Dragon was a horrible friggin' movie. One, because, you know, the substance of the plot was pretty much the Lee brothers fighting in a post-apocalyptic future, and they had one half of a dragon medallion, uh, the bad guy had the other half. It was just one of those 90s movies where you could get away with anything. You know, kind of like any movie made with Shaquille O'Neal. But now to present the reasons why I like this movie. Well, one is because you can't take it seriously. Two is because they did get some things right from the games. Matter of fact, all that gang warfare that was going on in there, they even had a crazy postman in there. And they were chasing the Lee brothers and harassing them and stuff. Well, here's the thing. That's pretty much what Double Dragon is. You're fighting against gang members. All of them coming at you and everything else with no rhyme or reason. They just want to stop you from trying to save Marion. And Alyssa Milano as Marion, that that was good eye candy because 
she's a fox. Still is to this day. Also because the director of that particular film, it was his first feature film. You know, I believe everybody deserves a chance to make it big in the filmmaking business, especially when they do the first feature. You never know, it could boost him to stardom, or it just shows that, hey, maybe the second film could be a lot better. Believe it or not, the man who directed Lord of the Rings, and we hold in high regard as Peter Jackson, you know what I'm saying? Peter Jackson, his first movie was called Dead Alive, and it was one of those undead, gory kind of movies. It was cheesy, like, after a while, you really didn't care for the plot. It was just so gross in some aspects, but it was enjoyable, you know, because there's still a certain charm about it, but it is a far cry from what he directs now. But it just goes to show, like, in this business, you have to start somewhere. Your first movie, especially if it's your first feature, might not be the best movie you'll ever make. But it can open doors, especially if you try again. See, because after he did that, eventually Peter Jackson did The Frighteners, and then all sorts of doors opened up. So, try, try again. So, in doing so, I don't know what the director of Double Dragon is doing now, but I'm sure he's probably moved on to something great. I'm sure he's probably making a bunch of John Woo-type films. The only problem I have with Double Dragon, really, is because Billy Lee could fight better than that. Especially when you play as him in the game. And I think it was horribly miscast putting Scott Wolf in that role. If Brandon Lee was still living at the time, I'm sure that him and Mark Dacascos could have played well off of each other as the true Lee brothers in that film. That would have just been phenomenal, you know? The movie could have been a lot better than what it was. But, you know, it's just one of those movies that I'll enjoy on a Saturday. You know, like, say, like, if I'm not doing anything or if I don't want to really watch anything that's grade A, I'll just go ahead and I'll just pull out that Street Fighter and maybe Mortal Kombat 1 and just sit back and just have a video game film festival. And I know that there's a lot of hits and misses when it comes to a movie based on a video game. And I think another one is starting to... I think there's another one that's coming to theaters soon. See, I stopped paying attention after Assassin's Creed. Not because it was a bad movie, by the way. It's just because, well, hell, they're making movies out of anything. So, you know, you just have to look at that shrug and just say, well, okay. I'll probably go and rent it sometime from the red box and go ahead and see what's going on. But as of right now, though, you know, let me continue on with the show. Now, third up, I would say The Room, but then again, The Room is purposely a bad movie anyway. It was made purposely to be bad, <laughs> you know? And the thing is, even if you're watching it, it's still enjoyable in its own hindsight. So if anything, it's more of a cult film now than it would be because of being a bad movie. And keep in mind, there are movies that are made purposely bad that just turn out great. You know, it's just the hell with convention. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to film this scene, and I'm just going to run with it just because. And there's a significant movie like that. It's called Rubber. It has this teleconnected killer tire in there, and there's really no plot other than that it's just a teleconnected tire that's going to try to come and kill you if you cross paths with it. And then it also tried to get a piece of ass, too. So that's a little weird, but still, at the end of the day, it was hilarious and then there's a lot of other movies that are like that like jack frost one and two a killer snowman i mean <laughs> you can't make this up but somebody did and by looking at how bad it is it was great and you know the most ironic thing is is that that was shannon elizabeth's first role another movie would be iron sky like iron sky was what was it it was zombie nazis on the moon it's about as similar to like plan z from planet nine and either way, you can look at these movies and you can say that they're bad and they're horrible, but they have new life as cult films. So even if you were to make a bad movie now, 
in years to come and at a different time when you're old and feeble, but there are a lot of descendants that are so forward thinking out there and they look at that movie and be like, hey, this is actually pretty damn enjoyable. You know, I'm sure like Roger Corman has a lot of films in his library where it's like that. But you see, it's kind of hard for me to talk about my number three because, you know, the thing is, there's so many movies that are vying for that role. And I could go in and talk about sequelitis, but that's a whole nother episode. But yeah, my top three guilty pleasure movie would be, though, is Leprechaun 4 in Space. You know why? Because I can't get enough of Warwick Davis talking about he wants his gold, and this time he wants his gold in space. And the beautiful alien chick that was supposedly to be his wife was pretty cute, man. I mean, what is it with bad movies casting these beautiful babes? You know what I'm saying? As much as I like to try to win an Oscar in my lifetime, I purposely want to make a bad movie just so I can hire a beautiful lady to be on there and just enjoy the acting, but... (laughs) You know, I'm probably uh, roping, I'm probably hurting myself with that one. But sometimes you gotta realize, some of these B-movies, they cast like these gorgeous women. And then you look at some of these grade A movies, and they pretty much cast who's an A-lister at the time. You know, they, they do give some a chance, you know, they do introduce some, but... Let's be real here, like, you take a look at somebody in a B-movie, you're like, hey, I want to see her career go, too. I want to see her up there on that walk of fame sometime. I want to see, you know, where her career goes. Because believe it or not, a lot of them started at the indie level. And, you know, moved up into mainstream films and everything else. And some of them, luckily, don't forget where they come from, because when things hit a rut up there, they come right back to indie films. So, you know, it's up in the air. But yeah, definitely my third is Leprechaun 4. Honestly, they could have ended the series there, but then they decided to take them back to the hood. But I'll tell you this much. Or no, Leprechaun in the hood, then back to the hood. I don't know why he had to go twice. But I do know in the fourth one, though, it's like, it's so outlandish. You know what I mean? It has no choice but to be bad. But you see, sometimes, you know, when it's so bad, it's good and you just can't forget it. I mean, I also have um, Child's Play 3 on there. Actually, all of the ones after Child's Play 1 and 2. You know, even Bride of Chucky. Bride of Chucky was okay, though. It was good to see Chucky get lucky, but let's be honest here. After Child's Play 3, it, it just kind of, eh. I mean, even the director of the series, who's also the main writer, by the way, he didn't care for Child's Play 3. So, you know, but Curse of... Um, however, The Curse of Chucky... Well done. That's all I gotta say. Well done. The creep factor is back. Like when that lady pulled off the pulled off the things on Chucky's face to reveal his scars. I was like, hell yeah, this is this is what it's all about. Even though, you know, sometimes I think Chucky's just a lot scarier without him. You know what I mean? Even though there was a reason he had him in the fourth one. But you know, like it has become his iconic look, but back in those days, you know, when he was clean faced Chucky, that's just that's just scary enough. Because then there's times he sits there, right? And, you know, he's in good guy mode. And it's creepy enough. Because then he can turn on his real mode and come after you. There are reasons I was scared of that as a kid. But then I got better with it. You know, especially the first one. But like I said, that's a different topic. I'll probably save that for the Monster Fest when that happens. Remember, there's going to be two Monster Fest events. There's going to be one in the spring. And there's going to be one in the fall. But going back to it, though, those top three films, actually, you know, I look at it, 
And I enjoy bad movies. And this is why you need to enjoy bad movies. Because for one thing, it is entirely up to your opinion. And two, if you look at how they make bad movies, you're about due for a good one. Because for every bad movie you watch and you dissect and you learn about it, then you realize what you shouldn't do. As you watch the bad movie, you're going to learn from it. You're going to make good movies. Now, are you going to make good movies every time? No, you're not. Because, let me tell you something, for a writer, a writer has at least about, you got to figure, if a writer has like 10 great scripts, you better count that there's at least like 50 bad ones. You know, especially if they're starting out. And and I'm just using random numbers at this point, but you got to figure... Like, there's always something bad in somebody's catalog. Nothing is infallible. You know, like what I mentioned about those grade A films before. Like, a lot of films out here, they probably won't ever be Oscar material. Some will probably win different awards here and there. But the thing is, you gotta give yourself a fighting chance. And you gotta give other creatives a fighting chance, too. You can't just rip into somebody else's work. Because then that person can see your work and probably rip into it, too. Because some people are just petty like that. But a good movie is a movie that actually achieves the entertainment and the respect of its audience. It's not always about all the money you get. Sure, that's part of it. But then there's also this. Will they talk about your movie from then on in? Because, you see, a lot of bad movies are great conversation starters. A lot of bad movies start better conversation than good movies, believe it or not. Like, I mean, you could go ahead and start up a conversation about... Okay, well, let's try to get rid of anything that deals with Lucasfilms, Disney, Disney Animated. You know what I mean? Because those are, that's obvious. You know, they're big multi-million dollar companies out there. Let me tell you something. Whoever sees that knows that, and of course they're going to talk about it. But when you go into, like, a certain film that most people don't really talk about, like, let's say Jaws 3. Somebody would be like, oh man, I couldn't stand Jaws 3. Yo, did you like that 3D effect in Jaws 3? And then like somebody else would be like, no, that that just really sucked. And then after a while you start talking about the good movies that, you know, were all about it in that same franchise. And maybe something about King Kong and all this sort of thing. All, all the things that you need to talk about are there. But usually a bad movie is a good topic to start off with. Especially those that end up on Netflix. Have you seen a lot of the stuff that end up on Netflix? It's crazy, but, you know, it's enjoyable because sometimes you just want to make a movie and not care about certain things. You know, you want to make a movie that gets people talking about it. And you know what? Because of little things like that and because I am totally against perfectionist thinking, because nothing is perfect, will never, ever, ever be perfect. And that's like the worst damn thing you can wish on somebody because you'll be impossible to work with You won't get anything done, and in the end, just wasting your time. That's what happens to perfectionists in this business. So don't be so full of doubt as you pursue your role as being filmmakers and creatives of all kinds out there. And since we only got a few more minutes left in the show, it's another time to give you a question of the week. Now this question is, what are your top three guilty pleasure slash bad movies? Because I already gave you mine, let's be fair about this. And it will be addressed on episode 11. Now I want to give a shout out to everybody in the Potter and family. And I especially want to give a shout out to the 
Digital and Dice Podcast for holding it together, playing the Zelda game while listening to a horrendous fanfic. I don't know who wrote that, but ew. And I also want to give a shout out to the Buffet Boys for getting their seventh episode finished. Keep it going, guys. You're almost there at episode 10 just like I am right now. Keep doing it. And keep telling the truth, by the way. We need some more of that out there, you know? Since mainstream media is dropping the ball, it's up to us now. And, of course, I want to give a shout-out to everybody in the Potter and family for helping me get this far. Along with S. Anthony Thomas, The Retail Rant, The Unwritable Rant, M. Retail Slave, The Epic Film Guys, Jake and Tom Conquer the World, The Countdown Podcast with Paul and Wayne, The uh, Moviesaurus Rex Podcast. Jeez, there is a lot of you guys, you know? The Wayback Podcast. Jiff of Assholes Podcast. <laughs> you guys are out of your minds. Poop Culture Podcast, Nerd Rage Podcast, The Cinematics Podcast, Casting for Two, Jack and the Geek in Stock, Heckler Kane's The Imperfect Podcast, This Week in Film, Just in Time Podcast, The Psycho Show Podcast, and much more where that came from because, hey, we at J360 are making new friends every day. And here's the best part. See, one of the things about the Potter and Family is, is that we all got each other's back and we're all working together to present the best content we can for those of you out there in the audience. And as we go about doing this, sometimes it takes time for people to keep track of all of us. So what I'm going to try to do is on the J360 Twitter and the J360 Facebook page, I'm going to try to locate every single one of us and have us united as a group. Keep the family going. But other than that though, that's it for the J-Man Show for this week. Please come back for episode 11, because I'm going after the most infamous holiday of all of them this year. Valentine's Day. Yep. So until then, take care, J360 Legion, and I will see you next week.